since transitioning over to and beginning Christ Center Church about a year ago or so, we've had the opportunity to do some different things with this ministry, uh, to uh, have uh, work on and develop a new constitution and bylaws, new different kinds of ministries, uh, new mission, new purpose, uh, fundamentally at its core, evangelism and reaching people for Jesus Christ. But the way in which we've framed that mission and purpose did change some with uh, this new entity, with Christ Center Community Ministries and Christ Center Church. I felt that it would be appropriate and a good idea to begin this year in the first service of the new year to essentially give us as a ministry a vision for the coming year, to share with you our mission statement as a church, as Christ-centered community church, a mission statement and a purpose, and a reason why we're here. Because if we didn't have things like this, and I asked you, why does the church exist? Why do you think the church is here? What do you think the church should be doing? We could have a myriad of answers, right? It can be very difficult then to make decisions regarding resources and uh, different focuses and emphasis. So having the beginning of this year and taking the beginning of this year to look at the mission and purpose of who we are as a ministry and why we do what we do is so helpful and vital to giving us all a direction and getting everyone or attempting to get everyone at least on the same page, moving in that similar direction. What I would like to do over the next three to four weeks, because I think we do have a bingo in between there somewhere, and I love that ministry, but more about that one later. Uh, in, over the course of the next several weeks, I want to look at our mission statement. And to look at, because it's, it's, it's much more simplified than the one prior, and I did a lot of research on mission statements, and I, I believe found one that I think speaks to who we are and what we do. And we're going to break that down over the next several weeks and look at each part of it. But what I wanted to do tonight and what I will be doing over the next several messages and sessions will be re uh, reviewing and sharing with you that mission statement over and over again. So the mission statement for Christ Center Church, and really Christ Center Community Ministries, because with Christ Center Combat, that is still, it's still our goal to accomplish these things through that ministry as well, and really we should be accomplishing through everything that we do, is this. Our mission is to build a Christ Center community here by preaching teaching and reaching our community out there through christ-centered ministries so it is very circular it is very repetitive and redundant because that is both how we're going to go about doing it and what we're seeking to accomplish again our mission is to build a christ-centered community by preaching teaching and reaching our community through christ-centered ministries so tonight, as we look at God's Word, we're going to look at the first part of that. We're going to look at the importance of preaching. And then in the following weeks, we'll look at the importance of teaching. And then reaching people. And how those all work together to build a Christ-centered community here from a community out there. So when we look at the first part of this, what we see is, when we talk about preaching, and we look at the passage tonight that Sean read for us in 2 Timothy 4, what we find... The context for that passage is that is the last epistle that Paul writes to Timothy. Paul knows that he is about to, to be killed, that he's about to lose his life. And he wanted to send this last letter to Timothy to make sure that he was at a place where he could have some confidence in doing the ministry that Paul had left him to do. Paul had left Timothy to pastor a church. Timothy was having some struggles because 
Timothy was perceived as young, probably in his 40s, right? So, you know, I can relate a little bit to that. Uh, but he was struggling a little bit in, in getting ministry going and getting some confidence in the ministry and dealing with different people and different issues and things. And Paul wanted to encourage him and he wanted to make sure before he was gone that Timothy had a good grasp of the importance of ministry. And Paul's concern with Timothy and with the other churches that he sought to establish, to build, to found, was that they be developing a Christ-centered community in the church where they were. That's essentially what Paul's goal was in his, in his mission work, was to build Christ-centered communities all throughout the Middle East. And so he tells Timothy, he wants Timothy to know what the most important things are. And as you look at the end of 2 Timothy, those last couple of chapters, you get him going, okay, Timothy, and make sure this, and make sure that. And, you know, here's a farewell, but remember these people. And as you look at 2 Timothy, you see things kind of winding down for Paul, and Paul emphasizing what's really important. And what we find in 2 Timothy chapter 4 is this brief passage on preaching the word. The importance of preaching the word that was fundamental to establishing a Christ-centered community there at Ephesus where Paul had left Timothy. We see that in 2 Timothy, as Paul was going to die soon in prison, he wanted Timothy to know what was most important. And one of the most important things was to preach the gospel. Arguably the most important. Sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. Sadly, though, in many ways, the church in our culture today has lost that emphasis. As we, and I mentioned this last week a little bit, live in a postmodern society that denies that there's absolute truth and that you can't have the standard by which to live. That's what they will tell you. Churches have, sadly, in many cases, kind of shifted away from that and said just whatever you think is okay. But what we find in God's Word is that there is an absolute standard of truth, and it's something that needs to be preached and communicated to a lost world. So tonight, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, we're going to look at three steps to fulfilling our mission to preach. Three steps to fulfilling our mission to preach. Because when we talk about, and actually the title of this series that we're going to look at over the next several weeks is called Mission 2020. For 2020... Our mission as a church is going to be to preach, teach, and reach. So we're going to look at tonight three steps to fulfilling our mission as a church to preach the gospel tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 4, three steps to fulfilling our mission to preach. When we look at this, and we look at the first couple of verses in this passage, verses 1 and 2, we find that when we talk about preaching the gospel to people, we have to first know the task at hand. We have to know the task at hand. The first step before you can go do something is you have to know what you're supposed to do, right? If, if I tell you, I come to you and I say, I want you to do something for me. What's your next question? What do you want me to do, right? In fact, that is often the very next question before somebody will agree to it. Even if they're even pretty confident they can trust you when you ask them to do something, there's still going to be some lingering down in the back of their mind where they go, I really would like to know what this is before I agree to it. So we need to know what God wants us to do. We need to know what it means to preach the gospel. We need to know what our task is. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4 tell us that. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says in verses 1 and 2, I charge you, I command you, I tell you, this is what you need to do, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience 
and teaching. So he tells us that the task at hand, he tells Timothy, the task at hand is preaching God's word. And he even goes on to tell him why this is important. He says this is important because first, God and Jesus are watching you. And we look at that. And when you stop and look at that phrase, when we read these scriptures, a lot of times we just kind of blow over that part. And we're like, oh, Paul's just being Paul again. He's just getting wordy. And we miss what he's really saying there to Timothy. He tells him you need to preach the word. And he says, I charge you to do so in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. God and Jesus know whether or not you share the gospel because they are watching. More than elf on a shelf, they are looking into your life and they know whether or not you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. And it's like, whoa. Hmm. We don't think about that though often, do we? We go about our days and our lives and our routines, and we, you know, go to work, we go home, we go to various community activities, we do things with other people, and sometimes when life is particularly difficult, we're like, well, if I can just get through A, B, C, D, whatever it is, and we don't stop to think, God and Jesus are involved in this. They're involved in my daily activities. They're there wherever I go. They're a part of whatever I do, because if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, they live in here. They're in here, in you. The Holy Spirit of God lives within you. And they're watching. They're watching whether or not you share the gospel. It's an important task that is done in the presence of the God who saved you. And when he goes on to say not only that, not only are they watching, but there's a judgment coming. They say, uh, Paul tells Timothy, this God and this Jesus who are watching in the presence of them, that they are going to judge, note, the living and the dead. That is essentially designed to communicate that they're going to judge everyone. And that's the thing. As we look at later on in the scriptures, we find that there are a couple of different judgments. We find there's the judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers, and the great white throne judgment, which is for unbelievers. And there is going to be a judgment where, and that's the thing, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're born again, you don't have to fear hellfire, but you do have to be concerned about the fact that the things that you do in life are going to be judged by God, and those which aren't for him are going to be burned away. And really, essentially, just speaking in our, in our modern American consumer culture, uh, there's, there isn't value in those things that are burned away that don't matter. They're, they're done away with, taken away. You don't get credit for those things, essentially, before God. So we know that we are doing, we are living in the presence of God in Jesus Christ. They know whether or not we share the gospel. And there is a judgment coming. First for us, for those, for what we've done, what we're told will be done in other places. Paul talks about what's done in the flesh and what's done in the spirit. That which is done in the flesh burns away, has no value. That which is done in the spirit, like sharing the gospel, has value. And there are rewards and crowns and gems and things associated with that. But that's for another day theologically. But there's a judgment. There's that judgment and then there's the other one. When we think about sharing the gospel. And that's those who don't know the Lord. That is those that we are told are separated from him forever and do spend eternity suffering in the, we're told, proverbial lake of fire with no hope, with no relationship with God, with agony and suffering and all those kinds of terrible things that churches don't like to talk about anymore in our culture because they don't want to make people feel bad. Well, I'm going to make you feel bad if it's the truth, and it is. There are two judgments coming. 
So not only do we know God and Jesus are watching, and that's why we need to do it, but also because there's two judgments coming. And there are going to be people that you care about that won't come to God that will be separated from him. And God might be wanting you to be the person that leads them to him. That's the importance of sharing the gospel. And then he says, not only is there a judgment coming, but also there is a kingdom to be built. The reality is the kingdom won't build itself. Right? You know, it's, it's, you've heard that sometimes, right, in our culture. Something won't do something for itself. And God's kingdom won't just build itself. God's kingdom is built by his workers, believers. And he uses them to do that. So he tells Timothy this, who is the judge living in the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. He is building a kingdom. And those that know Jesus Christ as their Savior and are born again are members of that kingdom. So we know that there's a good reason why our task needs to be done. We know why we need to do this task. We know that this is part of our task and some important reasons why. And then he tells us what the task specifically is that needs to be done. This is all part of knowing our task. So he goes through and he tells him, I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus that there's a judgment coming, a couple judgments, and that you need to be aware that we're building a kingdom here. But then he goes on to tell him what needs to be done. And we see that in verse 2. He says, you need to preach the word. Preach the word. And he goes, really, and the implication is, if you're going to preach the word, you have to first what? Know the word. Because can you communicate what you don't know about? You can't. If I want to know about music theory and about composition and those kinds of things, I'm going to go to Josh. Because that's what Josh knows. That's what he studies. That's what he's familiar with. He has a level of intimacy with those concepts and things. I'm not just going to find someone on the street who doesn't have any kind of background and hasn't studied it and doesn't know anything about it to teach me about it, right? They probably won't have a lot to share with me. Though Josh, on the other hand, would have tons to share with me, maybe even more than I could possibly conceive of and really handle at any one time. And that's the thing about sharing the gospel. You can't share what you don't know. And if we're called to share the gospel, that means we need to know it. We need to have a familiarity with it. We need to be able to communicate it. You don't have to give everyone the $5 theological terms associated with it. But you need, it to, be able, you need to be able to share, this is what my life was like before I came to know the Lord and I had a relationship with him. This is how I came to know the Lord. And this is what my life is like now. And the change that Jesus has made in my life. And it's really that simple. The living part is not so simple, but the communicating part can be. So we need to know what the task is. We need to know the word because we can't share what we don't know. And we need to know when to use the word. So he tells him, preach the word. And he tells him to be ready in season and out of season. That's not just for preachers. That's for all of us. How do I know this? Well, these letters were intended to be read, read publicly. So the intent, Paul knew that this would be read publicly to the congregation. So he writes to Timothy and he tells him all of this, knowing full well that this is going to be communicated and disseminated to the church. So there is that implication that this is all for everyone. So you can't say, well, Pastor Sam, that's for you, but not for me. Because it's for you too. So he tells him, you need to know when to use the word. You need to be ready all the time. That's what in season and out of season means. Ready all the time. Ready, as ready as Jesus is. To share himself with someone and come to know him, you need to be that ready to share that with someone. 
So that means being able to do what I just said and saying, this is what my life was like before Jesus. This is how I came to Jesus. This is what my life is like now and the difference that the Lord makes in my life. And you'd be ready to share that all the time because you never know when you're going to have the opportunity to have a conversation with someone that will change their life forever. And if you're not ready to have that conversation, that's a missed opportunity, isn't it? But then later on, you're like, oh, if I had just said this, or if I had just told them that, or if I was just ready, then maybe things would be different. We need to be ready all the time, ready in season and out. And even goes on to tell him what he needs to be ready for and ready to do in these uh, somewhat intimidating words. He tells, him, he tells him how. He says, this is what the task that needs to be done. You need to share the word, be ready to share it all the time. And this is how you need to do it. He tells him, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I really like my alliteration, so of course I came up with three C words, right? Because that's like a theme. And really, if you look at those words, reprove, got at that time, rebuke, and exhort, you can think of it in terms of convince, check, and charge, because that's what they mean. So when we look at that word reprove, that means to convince or persuade someone, to help them know the truth. Because we live in a world of a lot of people that don't believe there is an absolute truth, but they do believe all kind of craziness. And sometimes you need to convince and persuade them that what they've been holding on to is not accurate. Because there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of mistruths about what who God is, why that matters, and what that means for life. And they're holding on to those things because they happen to like that, even if it's not the truth. Because the truth is generally painful, is it not? Sadly. But yeah. And so people will avoid that, and they'll try to hold on to things that make them feel good. And that, that make them not feel bad. So sometimes when we communicate the gospel with people and we preach the word, it means telling people things that they don't want to hear and that hurt a little bit. And that they need to be convinced of and persuaded by in order for a difference to be made. So he tells him, you need to share the gospel. You need to reprove those that you share the gospel with when necessary. Then he tells him that he needs to be willing to rebuke. That word I, I told you is to check. You probably heard the phrase or term to check someone. To say no. That is not correct. That needs to change. What you are doing is wrong. And that's scary because many of us don't like conflict, right? We try to avoid conflict and will avoid rather than confront. But when it comes to the communication of biblical truth and it comes to communicating God, God is really big on checking people. I don't know if you've read that in his word, but God has no qualms about calling people out on their stuff and saying this needs to change. And by extension of that, when we come to know God and we have him living within us, we are then called to share the gospel. And there are going to be times when we encounter people who are going to need to go, no, that's not okay. That needs to change. And that's part of sharing the gospel too. Because you will have people who will tell you, well, if I'm just good enough, then I'll be okay. Then I'll go to heaven. Because that's how it works. If you're just good enough, you get to heaven. And if you're not good enough, then you go to hell. And that's how, if there even is that. Because nowadays anymore, it's like, well, I just don't exist anymore after I die. It's like, well, sadly, that's not the truth either. And you need to be willing and ready to say, I love you too much for you to go on believing that. The Bible, the scriptures tell us, God tells us, that there is a heaven, there is a hell, and that the way to get to either one of those has nothing to do with whether or not you're a good boy or a good girl. 
the truth is found in Scripture, in the Bible. So we need to be willing to reprove, to check people when necessary. So we convince and persuade, we check people, and also it involves charging people. Not charging with a credit card, but charging, the emphasis being encourage, to exhort. And we see that here. He tells them, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Encourage people. Because some people are struggling in life, not necessarily because they're deliberately doing things to end up in the situation they're in, but just because life is simply beating them down. And they need to be encouraged by someone who knows Jesus Christ. They need to be comforted. They need people, his people, to weep with those who weep. And sometimes that means encouraging people and saying, you know, I recognize that life is tough. And God has made all the difference in the world in my life and has helped me get through some huge storms. He's comforted me. He's given me the confidence and the, and the encouragement to keep going when I wanted to quit and give up. And he can do that for you, too. He can change your life. And while it doesn't make your life necessarily any easier, it does make it more livable. And it gives you a hope that you didn't have before. So sometimes we need to encourage with the gospel. We need to exhort. We need to charge people with it. So he tells us, he tells Timothy why he needs to do it. He tells Timothy what he needs to do. And he tells him how to do it. If we if you look in the text, he says, in season and out, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with complete patience and teaching. So this means we don't just find people and what? Blow them out of the water, right? You don't just run up to somebody on the street randomly and go, you're going to burn in hell. Because maybe they'll listen. But if I were betting, man, it's probably not going to be a great start. But sometimes it does happen. We need to approach people with patience, with love, with kindness. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't go blow people out of the water who didn't know him. Now, he did blow people out of the water who claimed to know him, or claimed to know the Father, but weren't actually living in a way that reflected that, and they didn't really know him as he did with the Pharisees, right? Those, those were guys that, t that definitely got blown out of the water. But other people, even people who were living sinful lives, Jesus approached them with kindness, with patience, with love, and said, there's another way. Now, it's going to involve some changes, but there's another way. So he tells them how we need to do it, how we share the gospel, how we preach his word. We do it with love, with patience, with kindness, understanding. So we know what our task is. We see what our task is here. We can't leave here tonight going, well, I don't really know what God wants me to do with my life. Yeah, you may not have the specific roadmap laid out for you, because we're told in Psalms that it's a little lamp and we only know what's right in front of us. But what we do know from God's word is that he wants us with our lives to preach the word. You can know that no matter, no matter else what you're confused about, about what you should be doing, you should be doing that. We should be doing that. Our church should be doing that. And everything that we do here, no matter what ministry it is or who's involved in it, should be in service of preaching the word. So we know our task. He then goes on to tell Timothy, not only does he need to know the task when it comes to preaching the word, he needs to know the times. If we're going to preach the word of God effectively, we need to know where we live and what life is like. We need to know what the context is for where we're going to share it. Because preaching the gospel here is very different than preaching the gospel in Latin America. It's very different than preaching the gospel in Asia. It's very different. Now, the, the core truth of the matter is the same. 
is Jesus died, buried, and rose again. But people have a different way of looking at the world in different parts of the world. They have different things that are important to them. They have different concerns. And they perceive the gospel and receive the gospel in different ways. So it's important that we know our times. We know where we live. We can't assume that it's okay to just do church the way that has been done for the last however many years. Because, spoiler alert, that's changed too, whether you realize it or not. We need to know our times. He tells Paul tells Timothy what he needs to watch out for. And interestingly enough, even when this was written, while things have changed, people kind of haven't in some ways. So look what he says here, verses 3 and 4. He tells him, first in verse 1, I charge you, and then he moves on. Here's our my favorite transition words, right? You can say Pastor Sam's favorite words are transition words, because here we go. He says then, for, because you, you, I told you all that, this is why, for, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. He said, you need to know the times in which you're living and preaching because people are not going to just accept what you have to say. And how often has that been your experience and mine, where they just won't accept it? He tells Timothy that there will come a time that people won't tolerate biblical authority. Well, if that's not prophetic, I don't know what is, right? I mean, people today will tell you, ah, that's just a book written by men. That was written thousands of years ago. Ah, that's not true today. Things are different now. It's changed. That's not the authority in my life. Some will say, I've got this book that is the authority in my life. If they hold to a different kind of faith or uh, a different religion. So certainly the Bible is not my book. And some will just say, I don't need a book at all. I know how I need to live, and I know if I just help enough people and I'm good enough, that's good enough. So there will come a time when people won't tolerate biblical authority. We need to get beyond this idea in our culture that just because we say it, people are going to receive it and accept it. And if you're on Facebook or social media long enough, you've run into people that still believe that if just because they said it, they think everybody should just accept it, and if the person doesn't accept it, then they're dumb and wrong and terrible, and it's not just not a good, good place. It's not a good thing. It's not the way that Jesus handled people who didn't know him or that even accepted, didn't accept or rejected him. He tells me you need to be aware that you're entering a time when people will not tolerate biblical authority. I'm just going to accept it because you say it. And you're going to encounter people that will prioritize what they want above all else. They're going to chase what they want. That doesn't happen today, right? Well, of course it does. We experience it all the time. So he says these people will not endure sound teaching, but, another transition word, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They're going to look for what they want and what they perceive to have value. And it may not be sound doctrinal biblical preaching in fact we see that he even addresses that in here it may not be relationships with other believers in the community like we find in hebrews 10 about not forsaking the assembly of fellow believers together there may be many other things that we know to be true in the scriptures that are sound doctrinally that people will go eh, they don't have a kids ministry so there's no value there that's not 
or they don't have this, or they don't have that, or they don't have whatever. And even if they find a church where there is sound doctrinal biblical preaching, they'll prioritize other things. In many ways, it's human nature. And we see that here, and we see that now. And it's something that we all have to wrestle with and work through. Because there are going to be times in our life when we do have to look at these things and go, am I prioritizing what is the right thing? And it's not even that the other things are bad, because they're not. They're not. Children's ministries are not bad. Modern worship is not bad. In fact, they're great, beneficial, helpful things. But should any one of those things trump the doctrinal teaching of God's word, I would argue no, that that's what's most important, to preach the gospel, to preach the word, to teach people, which we're going to see in the weeks to come, to make disciples. Those are the things that are foundational to what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not all the other things that we like. So what we see here is that there are going to be people who will wander around looking for whatever they can find that they like, and they're even willing to sacrifice sound biblical preaching. They look for teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I've encountered people over the years that will pick parts of the Bible that they like best, and if you don't preach on them enough, they will look for someone who does. Even if focusing on those things comes at the sacrifice of other things that are just as important. Because people, particularly in our culture and society, are going to look for what they want because we live in a consumer culture now. That is just the way people are. And Paul wants Timothy to be ready for that, to know that people aren't just going to accept what you have to say, that they're going to prioritize what they want, and they're going to look for whatever they can find that makes them happy and that they believe is important. So we need to know the times in which we live. And let me emphasize, because this is something that I've wrestled with in my own life in ministry over the years. Just because a ministry doesn't do things your way doesn't make it bad, doesn't make it wrong, it doesn't make it lesser, it doesn't make it beneficial. But we do have to always, in every case, come back to how important is God's word and the preaching of God's word and the making of disciples in whatever that ministry is, and wherever that ministry is. And it should cause us to ask, are we prioritizing here those things that are of greatest importance? Because that's what really matters. Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. He says, this is what your task is. These are the times in which you're being called to perform it. And then we find, he then goes on to explain what we need to be like as people if we're to do it. So he tells us, we need to know our task, we need to know our times, we need to know our traits. What we need to have or be as a person in order to be able to accomplish what we're called to do. So, he says, I charge you, for the time is coming, and as for you. So he says, Timothy, this is what you need to do, this is where you're going to be doing it, and this is how you need to be. Verse 5. As for you. Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Very easy to go, well, that's a pastoral epistle. It was intended for Timothy. He was a pastor. This is just for him. Let's go ahead and hold our pastor to the coals and make sure he's doing all of that stuff. I'm good. But no. Because these were intended to what? Be read publicly. 
to challenge, to exhort, to encourage, to convict everyone, all believers. Why? Because since we can go to Jesus Christ and we have a relationship directly with him and we can know the word of God and preach the word of God and share the word of God, just because it's not your job to do it doesn't mean you aren't responsible to it. Because we all are. We all are. Whether you get a W-2 for it or not. We're to preach the gospel. And he says, here's how we need to do it. He says, first, that we need to keep our head on straight when things get tough. Because when we looked at 1 Timothy and we looked at uh, the offices of elder and deacon and what that men and women's roles in ministry, I think probably close to six months ago now, I would guess, give or take, maybe a little longer even, we learned that Paul was, was filling Timothy in on the fact that he was going to be in a culture when there was going to be a lot of false teaching, a lot of poor doctrine, and a lot of persecution against those who sought to teach God's word. So he was telling him, you need to buckle up, buddy, for some difficult times ahead, because it ain't going to be easy. And he reiterates that here in his closing words to Timothy at the end of 2 Timothy, when he says, As for you, always be sober-minded. Keep your head on straight. Don't get tossed around. Don't get overly angry or emotional or, or discouraged or any of that, but stay level-headed. Strive for keeping your head on straight when things get tough. How frustrating is it when you are sharing the gospel with someone and things don't go the way that you had planned? When a person reacts negatively or it causes a problem with the relationship. Uh, that's happened to me. I don't know if that's happened to you. But if you're sharing the gospel long enough with someone, it's going to happen. And Paul says just keep going. Stay level-headed. Remember the task. Make sure that you're doing it in the right way. And ultimately remember what's most important. So he says keep your head on straight. Be sober-minded. Now, that phrase, sober-minded, temperate, I absolutely love because it's used in other places to describe pastors and, and people in ministry. Now, I've talked to people who are like, well, what's wrong with smoking pot, Pastor Sam? Because, you know, again, cultural relevance, right? Uh, the beginning of the week, that was a huge deal, or it still kind of is, but there's still lines at the dispensaries. People are like, well, what's wrong with drinking? What's wrong with all those things? And I would say, well, I think you're asking the wrong question. It should be asking what's right about them. And at the same time, when you do too much of them, what happens to your brain? What happens to your mind? Those things then take control, right? And as believers, what are we called to be? Self-controlled. And I'm not going to get into how much is okay and how much is not. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But I am going to say, if you get to the place where something else is taking the wheel in your head, whether it's alcohol, whether it's weed, whether it's sugar, whether it's any other chemical that you put into your body, that's a problem. And God tells us we need to be level-headed. Paul tells Timothy, stay level-headed. Share the gospel level-headed. And he tells him this, endure suffering. Be ready to suffer without quitting. Because the first time you talk to somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ and they get hostile, you're going to go, oh, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I got other things I can do with my time where I don't have folks yelling at me or getting mad or not talking to me or unfriending me on Facebook or whatever. But he says, keep going, endure suffering. You're going to suffer. It's going to be tough. But don't quit because there's so much at stake and so much on the line. He tells him to share the gospel with his walk and his talk. He says, do the work of an evangelist. 
Now, I don't believe, based on everything that I've studied and read from 1st and 2nd Timothy, that Timothy's natural gifting was that of an evangelist. I believe it was probably shepherding and teaching. But evangelism, what we're told about Timothy, is that Paul had to encourage him on several occasions to have courage, to stir up the, fan the flame of the gift inside of him, that he was probably a timid guy. Uh, we see that throughout 1st Timothy, right? When we looked at the church offices and things. But does that let Timothy off the hook? Does, does Paul say, well, because your gifting is, is not that of an evangelist, well, we'll let the evangelists do that. You just teach and shepherd and do those things that you're gifted at. And we go, God, that's that. I can't do that. That's not my gifting. My gifting is mercy or administration or whatever. And Paul says, no, no. You need to do the work of an evangelist to share the gospel, to live it out and talk it out. To walk and talk the gospel. That is the work of an evangelist, and we're all accountable and responsible for it. And then he tells him to fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. What's your ministry? How does God want you to fulfill that ministry? Only you know that. Well, he knows that, and he wants you to know that. But that's something that you need to ask him. We know that it's preaching the word. But how we preach the word can vary, and does vary, from person to person, based on their giftedness and how God's wired you. So you need to ask, what is my ministry? What does God want me to do? How does God want me to share the gospel, to preach the word? And then be willing to do it. Paul tells Timothy his task, what he needs to know. He tells him the times in which he's called to do it, and he tells him how he needs to function in order to accomplish it really couldn't be more simple for us, could it? It's laid out right there for us. As we begin the year of 2020, and we begin a new year in our church's life, and we look at our mission statement and why we exist, we see that the very first thing is to preach God's word. And now we see the importance of it, what it is, and how we do it. So I want us to, over the next month, to continue to look at our mission as a church, we find that we're called to preach the gospel. The most important thing, arguably. Now, we know the task, we know the times, and we know the traits that are necessary. The question is, will you accept that mission this year? Or will you make 2020 about you? Only you can answer that. My prayer is that as a church, that you'll make the decision tonight to give the year of 2020 to the Lord and commit to Him to preach the gospel. Tonight, your challenge is this. As we're singing at the end here and we're reflecting and making decisions in our heart, I want to challenge you tonight to pray and commit to let God use you to bring at least one person to him this year. Say, God, I want you to send one person at least my way this year that I can share the gospel with that will come to know you. Can you imagine what that would be like in this room if every person in this room reached someone with the gospel through Jesus Christ and they came to know him? Well, first of all, there's the potential that it could double. We'd have to move out of this room, of course. But that not even being that important compared to what that would mean for eternity, having 60-some-odd souls knowing that we're going to heaven. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord to be with him for eternity in the new kingdom. One person, pick one person 
And you may already have that person in mind. And if you do, pray for them. And pray that maybe this is the year that God will use you or someone else or something else in order to reach them for him. Preach. Father God, thank you so much for those that are here tonight. Thank you for this church and for these believers that want to know what you want them to do from your word. Lord, I preach that this year, 2020, would be a year where we do preach the gospel. That we, we do teach people. That we do reach others. And that we would, for you, God, build this community centered on your son, Jesus Christ, to change and impact the community of Joliet. And that you would use us in ways that exceed anything that we could imagine. Lord, we give this year to you, to be used by you, to preach the gospel of your Son for you. And it's in his name we pray tonight. Amen.